The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary-related entertainment. Seven in the morning on a beautiful Monday. We're on the KAOI Radio Group, broadcasting at 11:10 a.m., 98.7 FM, 96.7 FM, and of course on the West Side, 96.5 FM. I have a wonderful guest with me today, Kelly Polly from Creative Financial. And if you ever want to listen to this, almost forgot, you go to MauiRealEstateRadio.com where we have all our past shows on there. Very good. You know, people like to have the informative uh, information, everything regards to pet transfers, to septic systems, to pest management, to economic updates, to where to even buy on Maui. Uh, so definitely go to MauiRealEstateRadio.com. Or if you want to search for property, MauiRealEstate.net, which is our handsome family, the Ohana, Maui Luxury Real Estate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have over 50,000 unique visitors every single month that hit that website. So be ready for a good time to find property. This is Kelly Polly again, Creative Financial. Tell good us a morning. little bit about yourself and your company. Good morning, Clint. Thanks for having me. And, thank um, and I have had the luxury of watching as a professional um, the Hanson Ohana team. And <laughs> yeah. um, definitely, um, it really matters who you've got in your court. And I would say that um, any buyer or seller would be super lucky to have your family in their court. Thank you so and much. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I own Creative Financial. Um, I believe this October makes 20 years for me lending here on Maui. Right. Um, that makes me feel really old. But um, moving on. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm 38. And okay, I've been having okay. my license for 19 years now. So <laughs> okay, don't okay. worry about it. Awesome, I'm with you. All right. We just started so, when we were very young. We're like right? the new, right? The, the older, but the new younger, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that makes me really actually proud um, that I can say that um, in my almost 20 years of lending, I've just worked for two full companies. I worked for someone for five years, almost and five. Yourself. And now I've been working for myself since, and it's been very stable. Um, and I think um, in mortgage, there's just a couple things that you would like to maybe consider as you're... Um, taking your time to shop mortgage lenders and brokers or banks, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just working with someone that is um, stable, someone that's um, uh, trustworthy and that really um, is going to be transparent. Um, That's what we really work for. Get those numbers Um, right up front. Know those fees, you know, before that comes down to the final disclosures and... and We don't want surprises. No, surprises. um, Surprises sometimes can happen when maybe the buyers didn't know stuff, um, so they didn't know to say it. And then if the um, banker didn't ask enough questions to Mm -hmm. sort of flush that out in the beginning, then sometimes we'll have these what I call little hurdles or bumps. Um, But having a professional that's flexible and that can work around it. um, And, you know, we don't want our buyers to feel beat up after the process. Well, you know, it's Um, kind of hard, (laughs) especially for my Canadian buyers. You know, they're so used to dealing with banks in the main or in in Canada where you go in you know they know their history they know their system and they can read a Canadian financial statement they can get money in a very short amount of time so I the words I use for Canadian I'm like it's a very invasive process (laughs) you know they're going to know and ask for additional paperwork and more additional paperwork and more additional paperwork because they need to really work hard towards verifying so look you want to start with the uh, Canadian buyers I mean I know it's a really a section of the market that's second home buyer is yeah. not really primary, but you know it does make up a portion of the market. So please yeah. tell us about that. And to even just um, piggyback on um, what you would tell them, I actually take it a little step further. Oh. I, I can be kind you of smack them with something um, and be like, "You like uh, that?" This well, I actually like. tell them it's like. <laughs> They're going to take everything but your retina scan and your blood sample. It's true. And so I really just try to impress up front because, again, if you know what you're getting into on day one, it does make it a little easier during the process. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want people to feel like they were blindsided or they just had no idea how grueling it could be. So we just try to be very honest up front um, to say, hey, this is the process, but don't worry. We're going to walk you through it. We're going to hold your hand. Um, And we already know what they're going to ask. So we go ahead and give you that really long laundry list up front, but be grateful because if we get all that up front then going through the process there's less to chase down and Mm -hmm. so our motto is prefer to chase it up front 
um, know what the sort of the skeletons in the closets are up front so we can create solutions as we go through the process where some people, some professionals, for whatever reason, uh, may not get all of that up front and then they start to ask for additional things in the middle of the escrow and then they see things or they learn things that maybe now there may not be a way around mm-hmm. and then you get into a trouble with the escrow or potentially a possible um Maybe you have to back out because there are things that were now revealed that we weren't sure of. So kind so of getting that out of the way is when helpful. When Canadians looking to purchase here, typically there's only a couple of real sources of money that they can go through, right? I yeah, mean, local banks. Yeah. And so Canadians, um, which is really cool, there's um, three local banks, sometimes a fourth one, but they want really heavy money down. Mm-hmm. Canadians need to know a couple of things. Um, number one, they're used to going to their attorney, dropping a couple docs, and they yep, get the loan. That's it. <laughs> um, and they're used to always, um, usually... Um, short-term fixed. They go five years, seven years. So when we say, oh, we can give you a 15-year fixed rate or a 30-year fixed rate, they're like, what? Like, that's cool, but that they're thinking, we don't want to carry the loan that long because their culture, they don't have uh, loans that long. So they typically are more inclined to doing the um, fixed shorter periods. We call them um, ARMS or mm-hmm. adjustable rate mortgages. Um, and they're more comfortable with that because the way they manage their finances, again, in their culture in Canada, um, they kind of are used to getting those loans paid off quick. Yep. And so a lot of them like the five-year fixed rate. It's amortized still over 30, but it's only fixed for five and it gives them the ability to pay down extra or at the end of the five, take one more five and now they're ready to pay it off in a total of 10 years. Um, the seven and the 10-year arms are also something that they like um, and it gives them a little bit longer time. I'm a little bit more conservative. So um, depending on the difference of what the savings is of, of a five-year loan versus a 10-year loan, if it's only a quarter point in rate, it might not be worth taking such a shorter term of five years. Because as you know, with life and kids, five years kind of comes and goes pretty quick. Yeah. And I went on to do responsible lending. And so for Canadians, um, we know what they're used to. Um, and we can kind of say, hey, I know what you're used to. Here's what you might like. But here's something you can consider that we offer here. I think the biggest savings, of course, is saving on interest, not really the monthly payments. That's it's right. that you have total a half point less. But the total interest over time mm-hmm. is one of the things that's really, you know, surprising. And, and it's one of the videos that I made earlier. You can kind of see... How how much you pay? It's almost over thirty years. Double the loan about. So it's like, yeah, Which I'm getting a loan <laughs> for you know four hundred thousand, but really I'm going to be making payments of you know toward that that down that uh, that debt of about eight hundred thousand over the course in time. And of course, if you shorten that down, it dramatically reduces the interest. But of course, it's all about your monthly budget and it's being cur- able to make that. It's a balance. Have, yeah, so. and, but Canadians do understand the value of not paying interest so yeah. and, and shortening the terms. I like that. The other thing that Canadians should know is that you would need to um, validate your income through your own T4s and T1s. If you mm-hmm. own a company, it's a T5. Um, their T4 is like our W2, and their T1s are like our 1040s. And do Canadians write off interest over, you know, I don't think that's Yeah, what... I don't know if their co- country allows them to have that as a deduction. Mm-hmm. But as far as lending, when we use income calculation, okay. um, when they are self-employed, like our own citizens are self-employed, we don't get to use the gross. If you're deducting all these liabilities against the company, we do have to use a two-year average of your net. Um, and their tax laws are really strict, so I haven't really met too many Canadians that have gone over their 250 mark because I guess their tax rate goes like almost 50% of their income when they go over. Yeah, there's so got to be different ways that they take They allow income their in. income to be put in through like investments. And I see a lot of LLCs in their specific and... name. You know, it's like, hi, this is Clint Hansen, LLC, and this is actually Clint Hansen. <laughs> you can see my personal income here and then my corporate income so that they can split that up so that they don't pay those astronomically higher rates and yeah. they can, you know, defer those costs and, and expenses on what have you. Usually sure. the business. Um, And then what a Canadian also needs to know is the down payment. I like mm -hmm. to tell them that right up front um, because um, we do have an agreement, our country with theirs, and there's some sort of shared benefits. Um, The banking um, system still prefers a heavier down payment from Canadians. And so um, it's still pretty much as a standard 30% Mm -hmm. um, with all the local banks. There's a couple banks that will do Canadians, but they want 35-40%. Um, There was a time where we could do 20% and 25% if they weren't buying those condo hotel vacation rentals. But that's sort of kind of, it seems like we've But that's almost what everybody's buying because they're trying to use the income. I mean, of course, with the transfer rate for Canadian dollar to the U.S., it was great when it was, you know, on par or better yet, that it was $1.14 for every American dollar. That was awesome Um, for them. The Canadians were really happy and they were buying out here when our market was deflated. Mm -hmm. So I have lots of Canadian clients that are extremely happy that 
they went and pulled the trigger during that time. And uh, and it was always surprising, even when we were down at like in the in the 90s, and they were still worried about making the choice and i'm like it's st- it's still going down you know yeah. typically it's like 87 cents and we're right back to that typical historical we 87 yeah. so it makes more sense to borrow and you know use the capital from the rental to Leverage. pay off the mortgage mm-hmm. over time and uh you know have less u.s funds over here um yeah. and it, it is of course a, a constant process to go through to make sure that they understand you know the taxation process and if they're going to be bringing the money back into canada they might be subject to double taxation, you know, very and, important. And detail. it's important that they really talk to their, you know, uh, accountants back home. That's They're right. an accountant here. And we try to get him here with yeah. a local accountant as well, because yeah. what is the state? How does the state look at it? Then there's the federal, and then their people, and they. There is a lot of investigation, but as you know, Canadians still find it very beneficial to much to do more this. than not. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> if they're going to be staying here for you know even a few weeks out of the year. It's a good investment to be making because you know they're getting their foot and hold in the market. And then they're going to want to live here, you know, however many months out of the year. Legally, it's six months unless they own some sort of business or right. marry into the culture like my wife did. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> We've been married uh, 10 years now. Coming 10 up, years. Yeah, February well, will be 11. So it's kind of funny when we pick the date. We're like, oh, February 14th. That, that's a good one. And then it's like, of course, Valentine's Day. So, But you can't really miss it because no. you have two reasons to, to nail the date. You, well, plan. man, you got to plan ahead. I'll tell you right. what, because when you look on the calendar, Oh, and you're right. like, oh yeah, yeah, February 14th, and it's two weeks away. Good luck getting a reservation. Yeah, because not on every, Maui. No. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, families have actually adjusted to doing like the 13th or the 15th, or waiting to that Friday oh, because yeah, not us. <laughs> the restaurant sometimes the qualities may go down a little bit because they're just so Overrun, busting yeah. at the seams. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I've other couple other things for Canadians um, is um, once you have the proper documentation in line, um, you know, it takes a, a mortgage banker or broker about two days to get a Canadian credit report. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the U.S., we get three trade lines that will give three different scores. We'll go with the mid-score. We won't really average them. For Canadians, they just get one. It's Experian, and they just offer one score. And um, for, the, you know, one of the important things and one of the reasons I always have you as part of the recommended people is the fact that you have a wonderful set of team that you work with. I mean, it's not just you. a one-person show. Yeah. You know, a lot of We're people are like, us now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Two they're really good. Processes. They understand, you know, yeah. the documents associated with Canadian. And yeah. more important, y- you are creative financial i mean there's a we whole try. different ways to skin a cat so i yeah. you know but i do like to do the caveat clan if i may interrupt you it. there is creative financial and then there's illegal financial <laughs> we are not, not illegal, illegal no, financial no. <laughs> there's a very thin line and so what we do under creative which i try to explain to people is um, we don't just ask the standard questions i'll dig deeper into mm-hmm. your lifestyle um, your situation. I might dig deeper into local these. Local assets that yeah, you have. Yeah, local assets. US. Even like your credit report. I won't just glance at it. I'll dig deeper. Like, well, when did this loan start? Well, how 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 far are you um, with the payments? How many payments are left? And we'll really just dig in. And we start to reveal things that wouldn't have normally surfaced without the digging. And then with this new information, we can actually strategize mm-hmm. and structure the loan properly so that maybe at a glance somebody would have been like no you're not qualified but actually you are qualified Mm -hmm. and there was these teeny little things that we noticed that made a big difference and those are sometimes missed and again another reason i like to go with you guys because when you get a package to an underwriter it's going to go through why else would you make that package in the first place and i've noticed in a lot of other people even the same banks that 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 same you know package would be going to they will turn it down because they just simply don't understand what they're reading and that's again one of the most important reasons I like to work with you and refer Canadian clients to you because you understand those Canadian financials your people do and you know it just kind of surprises me the spreadsheets aren't too different I mean (laughs) so I have to admit I'm a numbers geek yeah Math has been kind of my thing, and so when I see complicated tax returns, maybe a client that might have multiple properties and tons of deductions, I mean, people don't want to throw on these formulas and do these spreadsheets that take hours to try to figure out, does he qualify for one more property? Sometimes they kind of go blank, mm-hmm. or the loan officer may pick up the, the documents and, all, and pass it to someone else and let them do the work, and then they don't really check the work, and if the, that person goes, no, it didn't work, and I'm going to tell you, it's me. I'm the chef. I'm the one 
one that's doing the grocery shopping. I'm cutting the vegetables and I'm tasting and making the stew. All so right. I get those tax returns myself and I dive in deep and I cut and slice and, and create and I, I validate the numbers. And I've even had packages go to the banks and they disagree with me. And the, 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 the underwriter might say, no, Kelly, you know, we're off and, and I'm going to suspend the loan. I need you further for clarification. And I go back and I said, get me on the phone. Let's go through this together. Yeah, Cause line we have by to, line. We have to go human error. This is some, some, sometimes an aspect. And when we're done, they, they thank me for my patience and my gratitude. And they say, you know, you are accurate in these areas. We'll make our change. Yeah. So it just shows you that even underwriters are human and can make mistakes. And Absolutely. sometimes I make mistakes too, but then we find a solution around it. And so I don't mind. I, I, I like the, the numbers. And so, so let's talk about a few more differences for yeah. Canadians when they're coming over here. You know, obviously they don't know what HARP deferpta is and that's a deferment when they actually go to sell the property. So it's pretty ridiculously high now. It's 22 and a half percent. So HARPTA, Ooh. which is for people out side of the state of Hawaii, they're going to hold seven and a quarter percent, I believe, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that when you go to sell the property, uh, unless you've been a registered Hawaii corporation or LLC, they're going to make it so you hold that money to pay your taxes. But if you show and have a history, you can avoid that. It goes for Canadians, Americans, it doesn't matter. You uh, have a registered company and show those local taxes being paid, a locally formed business corporation or whatnot, you can definitely avoid this. And then FERPTA, it gets even stiffer. You're going to be having an additional 15 percent so 22 and a half so that's something that canadians aren't particularly used to that's right. uh there are also uh t- some other and things all things i was going to say is all things um which with fripton harpta those are things you really want to start before you decide even to list it every time I mean, i'm honestly, talking to a canadian yeah. buyer eat well before, well before you know you they in the, by the time it comes to sell the home yeah. or condo you know. i'm like okay remember harpta firpta right. of course when it was it was a 12 percent back then <laughs> It wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, and now it's, you know, 22 and a half. They still don't even remember that such a thing exists. And I'm actually starting to get to the point where I'm doing a listing presentation and I actually have them sign additional paperwork understanding that this thing exists because I've definitely had people, you know, come to the point where the withholding happens and they're like, oh, what? This, you know, what is this a tax? And they freak out. Of course, it's not a tax. It's just a withholding. They're making sure you pay your tax. So that's a good clarification. Another one that they kind of forget about is like you talked about earlier, the exchange rate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're paying attention to the exchange rate. Sometimes they're not because they're just going through the loan process. And so we always, we do emails to our escrow officers because we like to work with them as a team as well. And we just kind of remind them that for our files, we like them to reach out to the client a minimal two weeks prior to closing because it takes about seven to ten days to liquidate any uh, funds that might be in stocks and bonds mutual funds Um, and then once it's liquidated then it takes another 48 hours to get it to the bank and then another 24 hours to get it over to escrow and so if escrow or um, because they handle the funds we don't like to get in the way we like to remind them that please reach out to our clients prior to the two-week mark of closing because sometimes if they're busy and that is missed we're a week out of closing now they reach out to how the fund's going to come over and then the buyers um the canadian buyers are like oh i haven't liquidated yet and now we've got to extend <laughs> escrow no. for another week and yeah. so we try to again be proactive and canadians have to remember that their liquidation process also depends on that that uh, exchange rate and yeah. so if they're not paying attention and definitely on day one of the escrow you know you watch it you won't really wait to the end to liquidate and then you're forced to liquidate at a lower exchange rate you want to start watching that up front and so we try to give the i have a little handout of do's and don'ts mm-hmm. um and we try to put that on there of things to consider which really don't have anything to do with our lending portion but it's sort of a professional courtesy to our buyers these are all little things that you may not have thought about mm-hmm. um and, and working good with well with our partners we, we do that so that's something that canadians anything do. else in canadians that you notice when when i mean it just surprises or difference you know for my wife and i we still find differences every single day you know you're like, what's gyp rock, you know, which yeah. is drywall. We don't have the word gyp rock, garburator, simple well, things like that. But do you find little well, language differences that, well, uh, not so we so far in the lending we haven't found language differences but the timeline again as we mentioned in the beginning is hugely because they yeah. make a couple emails they go into their attorney five days later send docs they're done it's a and continual so on day, process here in the yeah United on States. day one we say this is 
all of the steps we'll go through and it's like a bullet point. So they know we're going from A to B to C to D all the way to technically Z mm -hmm. and they kind of have a bullet point. And so See, that's each... Z in Canada, Z. That's right. <laughs> and then on Friday, what we do is we send them a Friday update and we cross out the bullet each point bullet list. Point. So they kind of always know where we were where we're going and what's coming up next week. And so it is much more intensive than what they're used to, but at least it helps them transition from what they're used to to kind of what, what to expect. And again, we feel like communication up front is the best. So that's kind of really the biggest for Canadians. And one of the things, you know, they might not realize is it's not extra steps. There's a few little extra steps. It's the same thing that we're all going through here in the U.S., it's but exactly it's not the something what they're used to. Used it's to. just yeah. it's a difference. Yeah. So coming here and say you have an American first-time home buyer that lives on Maui, looking to buy their first place. Have you worked with anybody? By the way, I'm just totally out of left field. How about any individuals that are um, getting one of those grants from the, the county? Have you gotten a few of those yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, how was the process? Because I know we got to wait for the release. You got additional paperwork to go through, you know, so... and it's another loan. I mean, that's one of the things the underwriter has to understand. There's just when you get that from the county, while it is a grant, it looks like a lien. It's yeah. a lien mm -hmm. on the property. Sure and you got to make sure those rates are. So only because I've been working closely with the um, Maui County Housing Human Concerns Department for the last 20 years um, mm -hmm. with their department and, and helping them establish the funds and helping you, them. The they pulled me, Will Spence had pulled me, it's sort of Carol Ryman, all the past directors pulled me in to help, you know, help them figure out the language for this. So I was a part of that. I, could, I was able to contribute. I knew it well. And I will tell you, Jessica, who's sort of the person assigned for the grant program right now, she's done a fabulous job and they have it all set up. They give you what the deed would look like, the agreement recordation. Like they'll give you all of that pre-recorded, so you can send that into your bank with the submission file on day one. So we are able to streamline it a little bit more, but like you said, there's all these extra steps now with it. And Fannie Mae um, allows them, but some banks, what we, we call them overlays. So Fannie Mae says, okay, we'll allow this stuff, and they have this big portal. But then a bank, whatever bank, let's say bank A that you are working with, if you're just working with one bank, they take the whole portal and they go, okay, that's cool, but we'll do this. And they'll close the portal and, and maybe not offer 25%. They'll only offer 75% of what Fannie Mae offers. Hmm. So as a consumer, if you just go to one bank, you don't know if that bank is allowing all 100% services of Fannie Mae or just 75% or 50% or 25%. they're trying to maintain their profitability and um, limit and their risk. risks. Yeah. yeah, they're limiting their risk. And so... The benefit of working with a broker is I would have like 50 banks on my um, saleable line and I know which banks offer 100% services to Fannie Mae and which ones offer 75, 50, and 25. And so depending on what you need, um, the specifics of your file, I'm not going to take you to a conservative bank. I, yeah. I, you need it all. You need everything. You need the MCC mortgage tax certificate credit to boost that income and to reduce your federal withholding from your payroll. Mm -hmm. You need the grant. You need this. You need that. You need you know this concession. And so I'm going to go with a sellable lender with no overlays that offers 100% um, available services and benefits through Fannie Mae and I'll be able to tell when I meet you but you, you you don't know what you need and the one bank you choose may not offer that and that's one of the beauties of working with so a it's broker a as opposed to a specific bank is there's a lot of different sources that you yeah. can come from and that's one of the things I've really loved about Kelly is the fact that she's been willing to you know refer other people in the rare instance that she actually can't loan so yeah. thank you so much I mean yeah. we had a situation where you know I had uh, a client fortunately by the way every Everything's working out, all good. But they, um, their loved one who's in charge of all the banking and everything has uh, was just immediately struck an ill and into mm -hmm. the hospital. No mm -hmm. access to any other funds or anything, you know. So they were really concerned. It's like, what am I going to do? I'm like, there's things like reverse mortgages that you can get, but the problem is a lot of them are based off of cash flows. And if that person's on disability or not able to be the one providing the income for the household, then they're not going to be able to pull that line. Yeah. You know that. Uh, so you got to, you know, really think outside the box and sometimes only hard money as an option, mm -hmm. you know, especially when, let's just say, you have somebody that goes and uh, makes 
uh, a big write-off. And a lot of times people, you know, they have their accountant or their tax attorney and they're, you know, coming in and, and making the smart decisions so they can minimize their taxes. But at the end of the day, you need to show a taxable income in order to provide and make one of these loans happen. So I like to call yeah. that like one track minded or yeah. maybe not looking at all the windows in the house. You've got a house with 30 windows, but you're looking through one. And so while we want to save money on taxes, we all do legitimately. Who doesn't? We don't know how that might hurt you for then potentially refinancing or getting a new loan later. And so when your tax accountant is working with you, you want to make sure you're being a visionary about what the purpose of the tax filing is. It's not just to file taxes. It's also used to calculate and prove your income, usable mm -hmm. income for qualifying for any new loan, whether it's a car, a business, a home, a, a commercial property, whatever it is. And so you want to make sure step one, um, if you're taking notes, um, when you do your taxes every year, you don't know if that year you're going to be looking to buy a home or refinance or if someone got well, two Ill. years, really. You right. want to be looking down the line. Two and or even fun. five if you could. Tax write-offs um, are great. It's an important part. But, you know, now that we have the ability to write everything off all at once, that's kind of some dangerous territory. Very and dangerous. people don't realize if you show a zero one year, <laughs> your you're showing zero. a zero. <laughs> you may have had cash flow, but the fact that you made a decision to do all those write-offs immediately yeah. or your tax attorney you might think that it's great that you do, didn't have to pay tax that year, but the truth is you could have deferred that to a more that's right. longer scale. Yeah. So just create a plan. You yeah. always have to do a plan that's going to suit your needs for that immediate need, but also for the several years. And going back to um, uh, just uh, being honest about you know other banks and brokers, I just want to say that I think there's a lot of great professionals here in Maui that do what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to just say that um, and just be proud to say that. Um, and also, I don't believe that um, we need to steal loans. If a loan is in process somewhere else, um, as you may have experienced, and someone comes to me because there's a glitch, just because I have the answer doesn't mean I'm going to ask you to bring your client to me so I can get another deal. You I give might. Them the answer. <laughs> I give them the answer yeah. because they're already there. They're invested. The appraisal was a cost. My goal is to make sure, whether it's my client or not, that everybody gets what they need and they can move forward without being harmed. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes taking the file and me starting from day one could harm the seller, could harm the buyer. We don't know. And so, yeah, we're a friendly broker. I like to say Creative Financial is a friendly broker. We'll give the answer to that loan person or that broker. I had a, a client that called and they had, I guess, drawn out their escrow for three months. It was a Hawaiian homes purchase and that was like another layer of complication because oh, yeah. you have to get the um, approval of YIP. Um, but they were just like done. The person they felt wasn't communicating. They stopped returning calls and you know, we need to bring the loan to you. And I was like, let me call them. Yeah. Give them, give me permission to talk to your loan officer. Let me give them a call before we make a hasty decision. And I was able to get her on the phone. I looked at, she trusted me with her DU findings and we went through it and I was able to create a really simple solution for that loan officer. And she was able to turn around and four weeks later, finally close a loan that had just been rolling for months. Um, and I didn't have to take the loan. And of course my assistant, she's so cute. Um, and she's my, my assistant is my niece. Aww. So her last name is Polly. They think she's my daughter, same last name. But I'm like, no, she's my niece. And she says, Auntie, you know, why did you do that? And I said, because first of all, I'm from here. Yeah. My roots are from here. I am part Kanaka. Like yeah. this is my homeland. And we are part of a community. And it's not about making money. It's about creating relationships. Yeah. I said, I tell you what. Who do you think that homeowner is going to refer the next time someone needs a mortgage? It's, it's gonna probably going to be me. Yep. And and that's not necessarily why I did it, but that's it's it's more about just well, lasting karma, relationships. Right? Yeah. Lasting relationships. We're in a small community. We're going to see our kids, like our kids ballet together, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and play <laughs> soccer, and we're going to go grocery shopping together. So we just need to just all contribute, no matter who really gets to sort of make the revenue. Because in the end, that's not our, our main goal. So be and, a good business partner. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. That's, you know, again, yeah. one of the reasons I love working with you guys uh, <clears throat> down there. Um, oh, man, total brain fart. I forgot where I was getting to. Um, so getting back to the county grant associated oh, yes, county in the grant. additional land. Let's do that. You know, people that are going to be purchasing out here, one of the things I don't think that they realize when they're going to go be hunting for a property, these grants get released usually in a batch. So that means that particular 
point of the market, that price range is flooded with all of a sudden an allotment of buyers. And there's so little to choose from right now in that price range, which is really unfortunate. And it doesn't apply to new construction. You know, it's one of those things that you have to find something ready, willing, and able to be moved into right away. You know, not something that has a tenant in it. You know, you got to be able to purchase a property, you know, that's near move-in ready by the time you close. So what happened in January? It was the second time they did the lottery. Um, they picked 61 people, and in January, January 17th, I want to 18th, I want to say, they gave them um, the, they got selected. Um, within two weeks, they received a letter, official letter, you are officially um, getting this grant up to um, 5% of the purchase price or 30000 whichever is more, because they maxed it at thirty, And they basically sent 61 buyers into the market and because you have a housing income limit, yep. then that actually limits and, and, and it sort of shoves the bottom of the market right, right. up to the middle. So you're basically, <laughs> they're all looking for condos or like homes uh, at about a 400,000 purchase price or less. And so they basically flooded the market yep. in a six month period of 61 buyers. And what the department, in all fairness to them, they may not have realized by Didn't doing that yeah. is buyer of these 61 buyers. So they, you know, buyer number one puts in an offer for 285 on, let's say, South Point. But buyer number two can pay 295 on that same condo. But buyer number six is like, oh, I'm pre-approved for 325. I want that condo. And that created a fight yep. for these first-time home buyers. And now they're overpaying or forced to overpay because they're trying to beat each other out because they, we did not have. Really we didn't have 61. <laughs> yeah products, uh, homes on the market at that time yep. to accommodate the people. And it hurts to see that it money was just disappear. Awful. It, yeah. I like wanted to pull my hair yeah. out. So working with the department now and educating them on that's what happened, whether they realize it, I believe, and I hope that they recognize at some point that when you get the grant in the past, it should be a full year. You have 12 months to take your time to, you know, find the property or whatever it is. 12 months mm -hmm. is fair. Um, it's growing pains, though. I mean, it I, it's great that this is available, but I think it has to be like a multifaceted approach to affordable homes because now we got to deal with the supply side of it. You know, not just the ability Release for people it to when the housing affordable yeah, housing projects are ready for market. Exactly. You know, like, and, but of yeah. course they're not Timing. really releasing anything. It like blows my mind where you have a chunk of land that says workforce housing. And then you get this, uh, you know, fast track process that goes to it. That's workforce housing. And then they go before and it goes, nope, shut down, cannot, you know, and I'm like, well, how is that possible? And, you know, there's, uh, um, I, I, to me, it's astonishing that I see that happen. But one of the things I've been imagining lately is there's got to be a variety of vehicles. And, you know, one of the things that's very unique about Hawaii is we have a booming, booming industry here. One of the most healthy economies, but like almost every single economy across the United States, it's not diversified. We all have our specialties, and our specialty is the <clears throat> low-hanging fruit of selling our beautiful island and places to stay and things to do. Tourism is easy, easy, easy money and figuring out a way to catalyze it to make affordable housing is really important. So, I mean, I've always had this envisionment of having the county uh, give an, a financial tool to developers where they can lower their costs to make it up, where they build these homes, they build these affordable condos, and then let's just say, okay, three years four years, you can rent these out vacation rental. You use that, but you have a price ceiling in which you can list this home. Ooh, so it's like, let's is, say you're uh, at a thousand square feet, okay. two bedroom or three bedroom place. Okay. You know, you're going to come up normally something like that's going to be like 650,000, you mm -hmm. know, that really should be 450,000, right. 425,000, uh, or, you know, a, a home, a standalone home that's going to be right now, like 750, 799. Mm -hmm. Really, it should be like closer to 500,000 if they're going to be doing a vacation rental for you know however many you know three years that's going to be able to generate 150,000 in gross incomes they're going to net 60 or so after like management costs and cleaning and all that jazz depreciation to the property you use that to cut those costs and then you have those price ceilings on the property so that it goes in the market and then you can affect the buyers who are looking for right now property for those grants they're going to get a better option and all those capital gains aren't just going to the developer right. i mean it's helping the developer make a more you know attractive product 
But at the same time, that money that it's generating is really going into the pockets of the buyer of that affordable home because that's the equity that's there. I mean, obviously, so it should be. So I'm going to go system. layman's term on you. Yeah. So I'm going to recap. Correct me if I'm cor- uh, correct me if I'm repeating properly. So potentially, an idea would be that a developer develop this piece of property and use it as an income source to help drive the cost down of the original development cost. Correct. Um, and so they can profit three, four, five years, let's say. Yep. And now they can, and, and they would go into this mutual agreement ahead of time. And then when they're in, making enough money to help them offset that huge infrastructure cost and development cost, and maybe even profit, now they can turn around and say, okay, we, we got to reap this harvest for five years. Now on that first day of the sixth year, we now sell all the homes at a crazy affordable price because we don't need to have the buyer help us support the cost Correct. because the cost has already been supported by the vacation rentals because it was more of a business model initially Precisely. and now turned into a beautiful affordable home public later. partnership is that what is, we're talking yeah, about that, wow it has to happen I, that's the somehow. first time i've heard that well, that idea holy I've, cow i mentioned it once previously <gasps> when i was you? talking to paul brubaker that's aggressive and, and that's, you know, vis- that's visionary stuff right it's there. a good idea because i mean it, like i said this vacation rental company or vacation rental company, this vacation rental business here in Hawaii is the lowest hanging fruit. People want to be a part of the community. I mean, they want to come and stay in a home. You know, they want to get to know Hawaii for what it is. And obviously the best way to do that is to stay in a bed and breakfast. And the second best way is to stay in like a home, you know, nearby in our communities. And, you know, people get to know the true Hawaii. But really what I want to see is more affordable pricing for people who live and work here already. And if you incentivize and create tools for developers, you know, and and county is going to be the one that is going to release those tools. There's got to be obviously a review period to find out what those fair price ceilings are, how right. the uh, the developers mm-hmm. themselves are going to profit. I imagine, you know, there's going to be costs at a reduction. Of course, costs of themselves, like the management. Of course, you know, they're probably going to create a management company. You would one of the rules would be capping the rate for those management fees. Let's sure. just say 25% because that's right. typically a good competitive yeah. rate. So they're benefiting that 25%. That 75% of the revenue is going to be for running the rental and reducing the price. Right. And all that capital gain is going to be going to the buyer into the property and gives us a affordable homes on Hawaii. I mean, right. it's kind of a joke to say, you know, a $500,000 house is affordable, but compared to what we're paying right now, it opens the envelope for a huge number of people to, I mean, like you yeah. said, 61 buyers are having the hardest time and yeah. they're literally well, giving Well, so here's what happened. Grants. So, cause that was in January, um, all of the buyers. So if you got on the list, even though you weren't one through 61, because they did a, a pull for numbers, they still gave everyone a number. Mm-hmm. So the guy that was number 62 and 63, and you know, even one of my clients was 383, you know, they all got a number because as these people couldn't find it, then they were just trying to pass that to the next person. And I believe uh, they may have gone through the whole list, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was um, because they had a limited time, they still had extra funds that were not used That's because a, it didn't happen. It's amazing. They and had they, funds they couldn't use. Right, because the buyers, they, they, they didn't understand the full problem that and was you gotta happening. And you got to hit it hard. I mean, yep. you know, when you get one of these grants, you got to be the first I got to close two. I got yeah. to close two clients um, out of the 61 within that time period. But then what happened is you saw in the paper in July, oh, we've got this extra money that wasn't spent because those 61 people didn't close. Mm-hmm. And so they did a new lottery. Yep. And so the deadline, I believe, was August 18th or something, or maybe it was August 30th. Yeah, it's we just, just about to pull. Yeah, they just had that deadline. And now they're going to pull again. Mm-hmm. So the question is, because now we're in the beginning of the fiscal year, are they going to give that just six months and we're going to have the same problem? Or are they at least going to give it to the end of the year? You know, so I have to work with Jessica. I haven't had a chance to call her. It's been a little hectic with yeah. low rates and you know, crazy stuff happening in real estate. But um, yeah, so um, I love that idea. So, you know, I did not see you. There was a lunch last week. Oh, yeah. And Hawaii Community, I want to say Foundation, Hawaii Community, shoots, I'm so sorry. This group, the very viable group for the state of Hawaii mm-hmm. that apparently gets a lot of private-public partnership funds, um, had a, an affordable task force luncheon. Oh, um, And they no, invited certain people and... I'm a very, I mean, as honest as I can be. I mean, I may not tell you certain things about like my weight, but um, I'll be honest. I actually was not invited. Oh, well. However, because I, I 
consider I've been fighting Especially affordable housing your, since yeah. 2003. Um, yeah. with fighting, for. Four, fighting for. Fighting for. <laughs> fighting for, not with. Um, and so I was on commission. I, I, I'm on the Maui Planning Commission. And I was on commission that day. It was Tuesday last week. And two of the commissioners were invited. And so we got off early off the floor. And one of them said, hey, um, I got to rush off to this affordable housing uh, thinker tank or something like that. And I, my ears went, whoop, what? Where are you going? I wasn't invited. What do you mean? And so I asked, because I'm, you know me, I'm kind of bold. I'm a little bold for a yeah. local girl. Can I take a look? I'm like, um, <laughs> can I be your plus one? And of course, my fellow commissioner was like, sure. So I get there and they have like, and, and the mayor was there and like all the people that have been fighting for and with and for affordable housing were all there, all the same people, you know, for some reason I was missed. It's fine. And they had all these like, printed name tags and it was like a seated plate right right (laughs) so i walk in and so they they had their name tags and so she asked me my name and i'm like oh kelly polly and then i kind of cutely humbly said oh you don't have me because i wasn't technically invited but i begged my commissioner my fellow commissioner to let me and she was like oh no we've got three extra seats and so she put me on a table and each table was tasked to identify the problems of what we're dealing with with affordable housing um, and then solutions and then we had to stand up at the end to present um, our ideas and we got to hear them now we had what's called a tig a couple years back do you remember under uh, Arakawa, um, there was a task force set up. Illy oh, Cochran yes. was in okay. and Don yeah. Couch. We, we did a TIG where we were doing that for many months. And I didn't get to be part of the beginning part of the TIG, which was a task force. Um, but I was at towards the end. And very same thing. We identified the problems. And then we wrote a letter to the mayor and said, here are the problems. Here are our solutions. Do something about it, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was very similar to last week. And all of the 10 tables, by the way, that were there, I did not hear that um, idea you just offered. Oh, well, and that it, was it's really something exciting that only to hear. It came up in the last uh, few I know, I weeks. think it's an amazing idea. It seems thinking outside the box. It is. It, and, you yeah. know, one of the things that uh, my family did is we helped found uh, Nahali Al Maui, which I remember. it's really been kicking butt right now. I mean, they own uh, a number of homes. Steady. And, it's and just it's, been real steady. It's affordable in perpetuity. What I'm talking about is not affordable in perpetuity. It's not something that's going to be a continual affordability because it's going to that that equity is going to go directly to the buyer and when they come time to sell the property let's just say you can put a limit they can sell it in five eight years whatever they're going to get the fruits and the capital that has been paid by the you know vacationer coming to Maui so they're going to be you know really fortunate to get one of these affordable homes now Nahali O Maui is great because it's a wonderful tool that teaches people how to you know own a property because it's shared ownership between Nahali O'Malley LLC and as well as, you know, the buyer themselves. There's classes that they have to take. And the most important part, 60% of them buy into the regular market anyway. Isn't that awesome? So it's, it's, it just stabilizes it's them. Working. It gets them. It's like practice, right? It's I like homeownership we... <laughs> practice, right? You get into Nahali O'Malley, you get the feel um, the peace of mind of having a home, you get the comfortableness and the steadiness of the the budget and being consistent with your budget and, and actually learning, I call it self-control. Like when we're out there, we have to have self-control. We can't buy everything we want. We're going to yeah. get in credit card debt and we're not going to, we're going to be priced out, right? And they right? do work so all of that. directly with banks and stuff yeah, and they'll, they'll purchase that. a couple of foreclosures all together. So mm-hmm. when, and so it's it's good because they have extra opportunities and meet allotments for banks and their write off. So it's they're incentivized to work with Nahali O'Malley. Um and it's I'm just really glad that it's working. You but know? you said it earlier, diversified. So Nahali O'Malley is one model. It's not a fit all model. Oh no, and it never but will it's be. A very but it works phenomenally model. well. So they important. definitely need to you know have a, quite a number of more homes to meet the demand in that section of the market and how they're able to benefit and teach people ownership, but. This is a whole nother model. And well, this so would the be model the you're next talking step. about is almost I feel like the other balance to that. Like and you that, got really conservative and you got really aggressive and somewhere in between. Like I love that. I love I think what needs ideas. to happen, you know, because it's it's defined to be a financial incentive. You know, it's not supposed to be a regulation because the more you regulate things, the more it monkeys okay, wait, say up. Say that screws. again. It's designed it should be what? It's 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 designed, designed to, to facilitate the process. Incentive. Incentive. Yeah. That is my motto. Every time I go up to the county council to testify, I'm like I do not like to be a punisher. Mm-mm. I don't want us to take the role that we're punishing people. Let's create the law so that we're motivating people to do the right thing. Let's give incentives for the people who do the right thing instead of going around and assuming everybody's a lawbreaker and no. writing the rules for the people that are breaking them and, and punishing them. I don't like that. 
I love that. Thank you for. And I mean, the whole way, the whole thing I look, obviously I want to diversify the economy here as much as possible. I'm a realtor. You know, I obviously think in real estate terms, I have businesses as well. I started Maui Paintball and it's really more of a passion business. Yeah. You know, it's, and the funny thing is I've, I've been actually talking about selling it for a little while, oh. but the problem is I love that business way I too much. Yeah, it's so much that. fun to go out there. I, we just had our big Hawaiian legends game. We had 150 oh, people come. The loves you. It's a blast. I they mean, we donate so much to oh. 501c3 and it's probably part of the reason we don't make a lot of money there but you know it's really just it's it's what I love to do and there's good, so many you know? other things that I, I'd like to see happen on the island yeah. but even you know paintball that's an activity that's that's in the tourism industry you mm-hmm. know uh, a large amount of the income that our manufacturers make whether they're producing food stems from the real the the um, the tourism industry, you know, the Maui Brewing is one of the few companies that actually exports, but still a large percentage of their profits are coming directly from Hawaii and people that are vacationing here, you know, because we're providing a specific service or product that is consumed here by the people that are visiting. So, you know, figuring out a way to diversify, we've tried a number of things, you know, some to some success, to some, you know, unsuccess, like the super computer and, you know, it, and it's, it's great and we should still continue to work towards those plans but you know the low-hanging fruit of vacation rentals is so easy and it really goes to benefit you got to figure ways to have it benefit the local economy and the best way to do that and i am one of the people who unfortunate as it is you know it's great to have a financial uh, instrument where you're vacation renting a home great but really Bed and breakfasts are the best way to do that because, I mean, it's a family. So they we like bread here. and breakfast at yeah. the Maui Planning Commission. Just Most so people you know. don't realize that now with the new rule, if you get a vacation rental license, you better have owned that property for five years. Yeah. And I'm surprised because every time I show one of my own homes or I'm showing you know, a client of mine, they're more than aware that you have to own a property for five years before you can apply for a vacation rental license. And they're not really doing that anyway. If they're going to be wanting that, I show them condos because that's the what that's they're there they're for zoned, yeah and you know for the bed and breakfast though you know people who live in Maui and they're it, it's a wonderful ability for them to go through a process and and reinvest that money into themselves in the local market you know as opposed to going out outside corporations totally and and again it's the easy money of of where we live right. and it helps Maui's people so totally. I want to see more ways to do that and I think this vacation rental program for developers like is a good way as long as it's regulated appropriately yeah you know? I, I think it's there could be some good pieces there that could be teased out on the note of the bed and breakfast I would just like to add that the Maui Planning Commission that's intact now with the current commissioners um, they're pretty um, agreeable and supportive of the bed and breakfast model Um, they like it because um, like you said uh, the person living in the home is the owner so they're a resident of Maui County so they're personally benefiting so they can have affordability to live here and because they're in the home then they're actually then firmly responsible for any noise or safety concerns Precisely. because they're managing it within the, the under their own roof in their own their household. The the vacation rentals are tougher market because the person's not around. And sometimes if you hire someone, uh, supposedly the community feels that maybe they're not as responsive. So those are a little bit more strict. But definitely bed and breakfasts are, are, are pretty welcome um, yep. from the community and kind of accepted. And so from what we hear, at least at planning floor, um, the people like as that. long as it's done appropriately yeah. i mean obviously mm-hmm. you got to meet the appropriate rules and zoning mm-hmm. you're not going to be renting out a plastic shack on your property you got to make sure that it's permitted correctly and within the allotment of those rules mm-hmm. if you don't you're going to get slapped and they're going to take away your license and just as they should it's a it's kind of a tough process to go through obviously to make it a legal vacation rental but there's you know certainly enough of an incentive to do it but a lot of people don't realize it is a ton of work. I mean, you're running a little hotel. The thing I really like about it though, is most people that come and they stay in a hotel here or anything like that, they're not really getting the full understanding of what it means to be living in Hawaii. But you know, you get a much better or a more complete picture of what it is when you're actually in a home of a local person that lives here, you know. So, and I do that. Yeah. I, I'm going to admit right now, when I go out of the country, you know, You're I've been to Brazil. Yeah. I've been to Japan three times this past year. I'm so um, jealous. Mexico. I'm taking my daughter out. Oh, there. are you? Yeah. I can. We need to have coffee, and I'll, right, I'll right. help you give you the rope. But I don't. I want to. 
so if you go into a hotel, that hotel technically could have been picked up and placed anywhere in the world and you wouldn't know where you were because yeah. you're in the hotel. Yeah, a, and yeah. so I think tourists are now realizing, even the younger generation, they want to know about the culture. They want to know um, about, um, you know, where they're at. And you get that by living in, you know, the resident's home. Yeah. Um, and so that's really a kind of a popular movement. How's that go with loans? Just to bring it all back. So say you have yeah. a bed and breakfast <laughs> and you have a loan on the property. Obviously, it depends if you're living there and the initial loan that you got, then you're just going for a resident. But if you're going in with the intent, I'm imagining that it would alter things. Obviously, it would because yeah. Fannie Mae is for residential. Mm -hmm. And once you do kind of a bed and breakfast, it's borderline business. What if it's like three years after you got your loan? Yeah, so if you get your loan, you're moving in, you realize, oh, Maui allows for bed and breakfast, and I could potentially help pay my mortgage, and you turn it into the bed and breakfast after the fact, it doesn't matter as long as when you get the loan at that time, your intention was primary. Yeah. Um, and so what we do after, so, um, yeah, if you have a primary home, two years later you move to a different home, you don't have to refinance the loan and say it's now an investment. Mm -hmm. You can keep the primary loan financing terms on that home. You're not required to change it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's so you can just vacate it. Yes. The, the only thing like the that is uh, flexible or moves around is your tax structure. So right. when you're going right. to be doing you, that, and, of right. course, we're not tax attorneys. We're, you know, we're, we're not accountants. But check but, with Maui County. Know, tax yeah, yeah. so you property know it depends on your use you know That's all right. properties based some people have the home office which allows them to get a discount if you're going to be vacation renting it you're going to better believe you're going to be paying the higher rate on that valued property so For it's going to sure. bump um you know your tax basis but the nice thing is in my experience again talk to your tax accountant is that it's it's dependent on the sections that you use so if you're using 30 percent of your property and 30 percent of your assets going to be taxed differently than the part that you live in right. so um it's and if you want more fair. clarity you could actually walk into the dmv over at the maui mall um, the Maui County Property Tax Department utilizes the left back side of the DMV. So if you walk in, you'll see a black and white sign that says Maui Property Tax Department. Go to the back and oh, you nice. can follow it and you can in person go there and ask the clerks all the questions you need if you get more clarity of classifications or tax rates and things like that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So um, can you we give uh, your email address and website sure. that you want to? Yeah. So my company is Creative Financial. And so it's um, would be www.creativefinancial, I put hawaii.com because, Clint, there's a Creative Financial in New York. Oh. I did not know that. So we do creativefinancialhawaii.com and then my email is Can Kelly. Can they do loans here? No, just kidding. I know, they can't. And, and yeah, and, and, and so my email is Kelly, K-E-L-L-I-E, -L -L -E, at creativefinancialhawaii.com. All right. So it sounds long, but easy to remember. What's your number? Yeah, 808. 891-9292. All right. Yeah. So, and this is uh, Clint Hansen with Maui Luxury Real Estate. Uh, the Hansen Ohana. Everybody knows yeah. us as the Hansen Ohana. My mom, dad, and I, we've all worked together forever. I've had my license 19 years. My dad's had his 36 years. My mom has had hers for over 40. She doesn't like telling people that, but she's got a mountain of experience. And, uh, yeah, we're just a big, happy family. Most people go to MauiRealEstate.net. I mean, we're like the Facebook of... Uh, you know, except we're not taking all your data or information. We do have an option. And just like those people that are looking for homes and they want to get those updates, you can create an account on our webpage and uh, you can search for those properties and price range. So as soon as it get on the market, you know, and you can throw it in because you've got to be timely when, you know, you're battling Quick. 60 other people mm -hmm. for these properties. So um, if you want to be the first to know it, that's why we have over 50,000 unique visitors using our website every single month. And you can always get this and all podcasts at MauiRealEstateRadio.com. Mahalo and aloha. Thank you for coming in, Kelly. Aloha.